So my question is this, and it's a rhetorical question, so you can just think about it. You don't need to shout an answer. <laughs> but uh, is it more important to share the gospel, speak the good news of Jesus uh, to people in your life, or is it more important to live a godly life in front of people that you interact with? Is it more important to share the gospel, or is it more important to live a godly life before people? So uh, the Christian author Barry Cooper, he, he, uh, considering the same question, he tells the story of two men. And the, the first man is, is working for a company. He's very well respected. He's the kind of guy anybody would want to work with. He was uh, really friendly and kind and honest. He did all his work with integrity. He was very humble, hardworking, and cared about his coworkers, and everybody loved him. And he was leaving his company after five years, and they threw him a going away party. And they're kind of giving little speeches for him. And, and his co one of his coworkers stood up and said, you know, you're the most fantastic coworker to work with. And we've been talking about, you know, what is it about you that's different? And we've come to the conclusion that you must be a Buddhist. And as a Christian, he's sitting there thinking, I may have missed an opportunity there. Uh, another man was uh, working in the company, and he, everybody knew that he was a Christian. He had, it was very clear. He would speak of his faith and his church, and he had Bible verses up, and it was, he was clearly, along with you know, uh, maybe a couple others in the office, they were clearly the Christians in the office. But he was somebody who like everyone else in the office, would cheat a little bit on their expense reports. I mean, everybody else, that's just how it kind of worked there. So the question is, which is more important, to speak the good news of Jesus, or is it more important to live a godly life before people? And I hope you can see that it's a, it's a, it's a false choice, that both of these things are a necessary part of living our faith in Jesus Christ. You know, as God is at work in us, it compels us to live increasingly holy and obedient lives. It also compels us to speak the truth of Jesus to other people as well. And yet, many of us end up like one or both of those, of those men, either silent about Jesus or stuck in sin and, and kind of moral failure. Uh, that really damages our testimony. And I want to consider this notion today of the call of as God's work is, is doing his work in our lives, what that compels us to. Now, if you are not a Christian today, if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ and you're just maybe exploring this or you were invited here, I'm glad you're here this morning. And actually, I don't want you to become a Christian until you hear uh, what we're going to talk about this morning. Because if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, and I do hope that would happen for you, but if you do that, you're, you're putting your faith in Jesus Christ to be your Lord. You are giving him the control of your life, and you are entering into a spiritual battle against evil, and Jesus wants to just not make you better or nicer. He wants to make you new. He wants to transform you and your life and then through you, transform the world. So I want you to understand this battle that, that we as Christians experience as you consider perhaps putting your faith in Jesus Christ. So let's pray together as we, as we search this.
Uh, Father God, we, we sit here as people who know that you want to renovate our hearts, that it is your heart to transform our hearts. So, Father, whatever is holding us back from that, whether it's our own sin or whether any spiritual forces of evil, that in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would break through and that you would do your good work in us and through us. And it is in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. So two things this morning. One thing, I'm going to call it workout and hold out. So we need to work out and hold out. And let's start with this workout notion. Uh, verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This is, uh, in, in terms of working out our salvation, working out what it is that God has done in our hearts, our part is, is to work out. Now, notice right away, it doesn't say work for your salvation. You work out what God has already worked into you. You can't earn, what I'm saying is you cannot earn God's favor. You cannot earn your salvation. We receive it by grace alone. So we put our faith in God, we receive his grace, and he begins his transforming work, and we work out of that place of receiving his grace. When you put your faith in Jesus, you were declared righteous right before God, but it's not your righteousness. Jesus' goodness and his perfection is credited to your account. So, and, and I apologize if I've ever explained this in a way that would sound different than that, that our faith isn't just about, say you had a little chalkboard and you write all your sins on it. So I would have two chalkboards, but say you write your sins on the chalkboard and we look at Jesus as coming kind of wiping it off for free because he took it on the cross. He took the penalty for that so he can just wipe those out. But what God does is he actually, not only does he wipe, that's only half of the story. Not only does he wipe out our sins, but he starts writing in Jesus' righteousness. That he became sin for us that we can become his righteousness. So that's credited to you. And you, as, as soon as you put your faith in him and receive that grace, you are considered, you are justified. It is just if you had never uh, sinned. So that's credited to you. So what this is describing here, verse 12, is what we call sanctification. is a church word. Uh, but it's, it's becoming increasingly more how God has credited to you. Increasingly more holy, increasing be more like Jesus. And it's a lifelong process. And it's a very practical process. It's about our moral condition. You've, you've been, you have this legal status before God, righteous. And now we're just working that out in practical ways in our lives and our hearts are changing. So, but the point here is that we be, just because we're saved by grace does not negate our responsibility to, to keep God's law, to be obedient, to, uh, to follow him. In this very active language, when you read your Bible, you'll see things like pressing on to what God's called us to, or following after Jesus, fighting the good fight, running a race. This is very active language about how we work out our salvation. We hardly or don't ever see passive language of faith, where it's just a passive process where I'm not actively engaged. And we do this with uh, as it says here in verse 12, with fear and trembling. Look, God is so great in his greatness that a God who created everything 
who is sovereign over all things, cares enough about me to reach into my life and save me and rescue me, and, but that he's still all-powerful, it, it creates an awe. It creates a desire in our hearts to want to obey him, to want to please him. But it's not just the fear and trembling. It's God's grace with the fear and trembling. Um, and, and we have this relationship with this amazing God. My, my uh Friend and mentor, Pastor Jack Daniel, for those of you who, were, who knew him and, and had the opportunity to uh, sit under his teaching, he would always describe it like this. He said, you know, obedience to God is, is sort of like how I cut the grass. When I was a kid, you cut the grass or else. You know, cut the grass because dad said, get out there and cut the grass. And if you don't cut the grass, there's going to be consequences. So you would just out of fear, you would cut the grass. He said, but later as I got, became a teenager, I realized that I could cut grass and make money. So I can go around the neighborhood and I can cut other people's grass and I get something for that. He said, but now that I'm retired and I've got my tractor and I'm up in Maine and I, I cut that grass just because I love to see it cut. Nice, straight, level lines. And uh, it's just the joy and the beauty of seeing a well-cut Lot. And I say, well, I don't have that. I don't, I don't share that. Um, still. <laughs> I said, but it's kind of how I approached music when I was a kid. It was uh, practice the piano because we pay for your lessons. We pay good money for those piano lessons, and you will practice the piano. All right. <clears throat> but then when I became a teenager, I started playing the guitar because it benefited me because my best friend was into music and it, it connected us to each other and, and somehow I seemed like girls like when you play the guitar hey, this is great now I uh, will pick up my guitar and play just because I love music it's not, be, not because I'm wasting mom's money not, not to impress anybody but just by myself to just enjoy music and this is our relationship with God works like that it's not just that we you know Yes, we should have a reverent fear of God, but we don't obey because he's just going to get us, because he's extended his grace to us. Nor do we obey because God, if I, if I follow God's law, then he's going to bless me. He's going to now owe me something, and I can actually get something out of this deal. We obey just because of the joy of knowing the God of the universe, knowing that he has set out a plan and what is right and wrong, and we can follow his way, and there is great blessing and joy just in obedience. And that's the place of working out our salvation that God desires for us. And it's his work anyway. So quickly here in verse 13, you know, we're working out our salvation. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. He's empowering us to do the things that he's called us to do. So it's, there's our part of working it out, but it's because he's at work in us. And he's working at all of us. So it's God works in you. That's plural. So God, is, God wants this and desires it for all his people to work out their faith in this way. And it's for his pleasure. God loves holiness. God hates sin. So as we pursue holiness and as we defeat sin in our lives and as he is at work in us to do that, he is pleased and there is great joy. So this is a very practical matter for us. And the question I have is where do you where is God calling you to be obedient in your life? Is, is there an integrity issue? Is there an addiction issue? 
Is there a sexual issue? Is it a money or a generosity issue? Is it a truth-telling issue? Is it a gossip issue? I could say sin instead of issue. Is it anger? Look at the next verse. It's a very practical matter right here. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Well, that's a good place to start. So this week, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Start there. See how that goes. But look at the, as we pursue, as we work this out, look at the benefit, verse 15, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. This world is, is warped and crooked. And we, as we sin, we are warped and crooked. And we need God's work in us to help us to pursue this. This is a whole life thing. This isn't a, how can I be more holy when I'm doing holy things? But how can I do everything, as verse 14 says, in such a way. So how do you, what's a good first step for this? I would suggest to just pray. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Asking God to search you. God knows your heart better than you do. Where is that sin? Or where is a holiness that I could pursue that God can empower you to do? And, and asking him. Uh, you could ask God for that. Or you could ask your spouse, where is my sin in my life or a close friend? And I, and ha-ha, you know, I said that last week too, but the, um, we confess our sin to God, but we confess our sin to each other. God has called us to be a community of people who can do this together so that as we, can, as we walk together, we can push each other towards what is right and what is good. James chapter 5 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. That there is healing and wholeness, not just, this is just between me and God, kind of the dirty part of my life. I just kind of keep it between the two of us. But here it's, no, we actually share that so we can know each other's hearts, know each other's blind spots, and be able to encourage one another towards that which is pleasing in God's sight. And that's how we work it out. We work it out together as God is working in us. Okay? So that is work out. The second thing, though, is about holding out. We're holding something out. This is about not just living a godly life, but speaking the gospel of Jesus. Verse 15, end of verse 15 here. It says, Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. So as we... As we live this way, we are shining forth like stars in the sky. We're shining light into a dark world. Now, this word, hold firmly, is one word in the Greek, epeko. It, it means to hold fast, but also means to hold forth. And I, so if you look at different translations of, of the scriptures, some say hold forth some say hold fast, this hold firmly. It's, it, it can mean both. And, but what it doesn't mean is just holding it like this. You know, like you've got, like you're running with a football trying not to fumble the ball. You, it's not about covering it up. It's about holding tight to something that can be seen. So we're holding out Jesus. And as we do that, so as you live a way of life, as you, as you are holding it tight and holding it forward, we now have an opportunity to share it with someone else. And we must speak. 
and there is a necessity of speaking the good news. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes from hearing the message. Someone has to speak the message for the message to be heard. Yes, we live the message, but we also speak the message. Both are integral. Both go hand in hand as we, as God's work works, it way, works its way out of our lives, through our lives. And so we have conversations with people. We have spiritual conversations with people in our lives. This is the part where we can get nervous. What do I do? Where do I start? Uh, you can start by listening to people. We can start by hearing what people are saying and what they believe. And as we listen, people will, will may become curious, what, what do you believe about these things? So we can ask good questions. The two questions that, and I've mentioned these before, to keep in your back pocket. One is, what do you mean by that? And the second is, how did you come to that conclusion? So for example, if somebody's talking about, oh, do you believe such and such is, is sin or wrong? Well, what do you mean by sin? What do you mean by wrong? Or good, this person's a good person. What do you mean by good? And then the follow-up is, how did you come to that conclusion? How do we know what's good? How do you know what is sin? How, how do you know that? Or when they say, Oh, God would never do such and such, such and such. Well, how do you know that? How did you come to that conclusion? And you can get to a sense of where somebody is, what is authority in that person's life in terms of how they understand who God is. And then hopefully the door will open up. Says, well, what do you believe? We can explain we know what we know about God because he's revealed it to us in the world and in his word. And I actually don't understand God rightly except to the extent that he's made himself known. But people make all kinds of conclusions about who God is and how faith works and that sort of thing. But we have opportunities to have these types of conversations. So you might be, if you are someone who says, I don't know if I ever want to have that type of conversation because I feel like I just don't, wouldn't know what to say. Um, I, I, I don't know if I've lived a consistent life enough that this would be something I would invite I would encourage you to just pray. God, open a door. Just show me how you want me to respond. Start praying for people in your life, people on the front lines of your life who you see in your everyday, and just start praying that God would work on their hearts and open the, a way to speak his truth. That's a good prayer. God, just show me. God, help me to be obedient when it happens. And let him do his good work in you and in the other person and know that this is his work. This is, this is his kingdom, and we are just aligning ourselves with what he's doing. So that is uh, holding out. So we work out, working out our salvation. We're holding out this message, and it, we shine like stars. Now here's some all-stars. Finish with this here. All-stars. First of all, it gives, Paul's giving a number of examples of what this looks like. Now this is a section of this letter. Again, the Apostle Paul writing to his dear companions in the faith in Philippi, and he's talking about what it looks like to live a life that's in line with the good news of Jesus, and he gives examples like Jesus, the supreme example of obedience, and we looked at it last week. He made himself nothing. He was obedient even to death on a cross. So, and he's more than an example. I mean, he's my savior, but he's certainly an example of obedience and humility. Well, it's a huge example. 
Paul gives himself as an example, verse 17. He says, even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and I rejoice with all of you. He's saying, even if I even if I pour out my life, even if I give my life, and he said already, for me to live is Christ. For me to live is Jesus. And for me to die is gain more Jesus. So even if I'm, you know, no matter what my condition, you know, obedient and and he gives two more examples. The first is Timothy. And before we get into Timothy here, it's oh, the New Testament is clear. It's okay. If somebody is following Jesus excellently, emulate them. Do what they do. Find somebody of, of faith who is, who is genuinely working it out and holding it out. And, and do that to the extent that they are following Jesus. So in verse 19, I hope to send, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I might be cheered when I receive the good news about you. So get this, I want to send Timothy to you so I can hear back from Timothy. If Paul is in Rome, as we're pretty sure he is, this is 800 miles in the first century to go and get a report so that he can travel 800, 1600 miles altogether back just to hear that that you are following Jesus. This is... What an amazing servant Timothy is. To just trust Paul, to just be sent to these places, to travel through what I would think is very difficult conditions. At 1,600 months. John Henry Jowett is a famous British preacher, turn of the 19th century. This is a quote from him. He said, ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. Ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. Here's a man, Timothy, who had a strong faith, a tested faith. Look at verse 23. Nope. Verse 22. Take a look. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because a son, as a son with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. He has just time and again has been faithful and has proved himself faithful. And he's a guy, you know, verse 20. 20. I have no one else like him who will show you genuine concern for your welfare. And for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But now here's Timothy. He loves you in the Lord. He genuinely cares about you. This is a guy who is living it out. Great example. Great all-star. And then the next example here, Epaphroditus. Now Epaphroditus, he's some sort of spiritual leader in the church in Philippi. And the, the whole point of this letter is Epaphroditus brought gift, financial gifts, and he's ministering to Paul's need while Paul is confined in prison. And so Epaphroditus has been sent by the Philippian church to, to be generous towards Paul and to minister. He says, verse 25, I think it's necessary to send back to you, Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, fellow soldier, also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. And Epaphroditus apparently became very sick when he was with Paul, and he almost died because of this journey and this ministry to serve and help Paul. And God spared his life, God saved him, and this, is, this was a good thing. They're thanking God for that. You don't have to go through the sorrow of losing a friend. And 
But what a great guy. Look at this description. I mean, if anybody would describe any of us like this, a brother, you know, this is a shared relationship in the family of Christ, a coworker, you know, serving together, that not one person has been called to this Christian life of following Jesus just to, um, to receive, but we are all called to serve. He's a fellow soldier. The more that we live this way of life, the more we realize we are at war. We are at war against the devil and, and all forces of evil and against a broken and sinful world. This is, uh, we are soldiers in this. And if you're no threat to the enemy, then the enemy's really no threat to you. If you don't experience some kind of spiritual warfare in your life, perhaps um, something to think about. This is a minister. He's a taking care of my needs. Again, also a messenger. And just as Epaphroditus, we're all messengers. We're all holding forth this message. These are beautiful endorsements. And the question, so I asked myself, I was, there was a beautiful uh, memorial service, a funeral service yesterday for Frank Chen, faithful member of this church, faithful follower of Jesus Christ. It's, it's just wonderful words spoken about this man's life. And, and I, whenever I'm in those moments, I think, well, what would people say about me? You know, here's a guy who not only just was just humble and, and brilliant and uh, faithful, but loved Jesus and everybody knew it. And he, he encouraged his family to uh, be faithful and to follow Jesus and, and just uh, in, in his neighborhood and, and in his place of work and all these places. You know, we can look at examples of faith. Timothy, Epaphroditus, Paul, Jesus, just to... Here's an opportunity for us. You know, if, if you want to put your faith in Jesus and let him just do his work on your heart, be obedient to him, if you've never done that, if you're just exploring this, I say, go for it. It will change your life and it will bless the world around you. And you can come forward at the end of the service, pray with our prayer partners, receive God's grace, receive his love, receive his Holy Spirit today. For those of you who have experienced it, though, what's more important? Is it important that you go out and just live a holy life in front of people, or is it more important that you speak the good news of Jesus? As God works in you, may you work out your salvation and hold out his good news to the world, to God's glory.